The reading this morning is taken from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13, and it's on the screen behind you. On the road to Emmaus. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks very much, Jan. What a... A wonderful story. Um, how powerful. It reminded me of uh, a number of years ago when I was coming home on the tube one evening and a young woman sat down in front of me and uh, we were in a, one of those sort of double bank seats and uh, she sat down and uh, she got out of her rucksack, she got a, a little envelope and opened it up and got a letter out and started to read it. And as I watched her read it, uh, a tear formed in her eye and dripped down her nose and so on. And quite boldly, when I think about it in reflection, I said to her, you seem upset. Is there something I can help you with? And she started to pour out her story to me. She told me that she was from New Zealand Uh, And she'd come to to London to to work uh, and to have an exciting time 
uh, as many Antipodeans do in London for a, a few years. And it hadn't worked out for her the way that she had hoped. Um, and it, she was deeply disappointed and desperately homesick. And I don't know what I could do. I didn't do anything. I just said, uh, you know, but she poured this story out to me. Um, she was pouring her story out to a complete stranger. It's funny, isn't it, how we do that. Uh, sometimes it's easier just to talk to somebody we don't know, who has no expectations of us. Uh, and so on. Um, our eldest son is a, a counsellor now at Citizens Advice Bureau, uh, and he, he tells me that that's one of the things that he hears time and time again, is that people find it easier to talk to him as someone they don't know. He was telling me about a case this week where the person had got themselves into desperate trouble and was coming and telling him, but couldn't bring themselves to tell their wives. We spend a lot of our lives looking for a comforting stranger. And that's what this story is about. So I'd like us to look at it in just a little bit more detail. And of course it begins with Jesus drawing alongside the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. It's worth recalling that the initiative for this encounter comes from Jesus. It's not surprising, perhaps. That's in his character, isn't it? He's always taking the initiative. It's what we were just singing about, the 99 and so on, being the one. God always leaves himself open to rejection to offer us his hand, his friendship. He's always prepared to be rejected to give us the chance to be accepted. It would be different, wouldn't it, this story, if uh, the two disciples had said, leave us alone, we're talking about something. Leave us in peace. But they didn't. They didn't, perhaps because of the state of mind that they were in. They were confused, they were bewildered, they were grief-stricken, disappointed, in despair. They were ready to find comfort or an explanation from any quarter. And there are four words, I don't know if you heard them, when Jan read them to us, there are four words that speak right into the depths of this situation and perhaps into the depths of our own hearts. It's these words. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. Who amongst us has not said that at some point? I had hoped. these two disciples, they had hoped that Jesus was going to be the one to redeem Israel. They were looking for that political Messiah, a Messiah who would deliver them from Roman rule. But their Messiah was dead. And so was their hope. In a matter of a few hours on that Friday afternoon, their hope was shattered. As I say, who here has never experienced such a thing, who has never experienced their hopes being shattered. Some of us might have hoped that this relationship would be the one. This is my life partner. We've just seen that in our own family. It's so painful to see that hope shattered. Or maybe you've been in a marriage. You had hoped when you said, till death us do part, that that was it. You'd hoped 
that that meant a long life together. Maybe the marriage has broken apart. Or maybe, as I remember my mother saying so painfully, uh, when my father died just as he retired, we had hoped, we had so many hopes for our retirement. Or maybe it's about your job. Maybe you're in a job that is disappointing you, is stultifying you. I'd hoped that this would be different. I'd hoped that this would get me where I want to go. Or you've got the dreaded no thank you letter. I'd hoped this would be the one. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe your children are disappointing you. You had hoped for more. I was hearing about a a family where one of the children has been suffering from addiction I could hear the parents saying, we'd hoped. We'd not hoped for that. So many situations where we say those words. Hopes can be like a light bulb, can't they? They're bright, they're promising, they light the path ahead of us. But they're so fragile. And something unexpected, something disastrous happens. And the light bulb shatters. And we're left in darkness. And that's how it was for these two travellers on the road. Their hope had been shattered and how they needed comfort. And the stranger draws alongside them. Could he bring the comfort they need? Could he be their comforting stranger? Well, we've just heard what Jesus said to them. And he starts off by saying, How foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe! They were looking for tea and sympathy and understanding. They were going to be disappointed once again. No, there was no there, there. I understand. Isn't it awful? What they got was a rebuke and an explanation of what the scriptures said about him. That was a strange kind of comforting stranger. But somehow it was exactly what they needed. And what an experience that must have been to walk with Jesus and have him unfold the scriptures. I'd love to have heard it. Their own personal alpha course led by Jesus. We learn later that they say that their hearts were burning as he did it. I kind of try and imagine what he might have been saying to them. What, what he might have been talking to them about. He might have started in Deuteronomy 19, where Moses said, the Lord our God will raise up a prophet like me from among your brothers. Maybe he went into Isaiah, that passage we know about, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Perhaps he carried on through Isaiah, talking about how he was pierced for our transgressions, how he was crushed for our iniquities. He may have ended up in Isaiah 53, saying, remember this, after the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. However he did it, he showed them how wonderful God's plans really were, and how through the whole of history, God had been working towards this moment when God rescued the whole of mankind by the death 
and a resurrection of his only son. He could have summarized it, as John was later to summarize it. Listen, God loves the world so much that he gave his only son. No wonder their hearts burned, hearing this stuff in a completely new way. And that's what comfort really is, isn't it? It's not just fluffy sympathy, some, but it's something that puts strength back into you when you're falling. It's the comfort we read about in Psalm 23, when the psalmist writes, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. And the story goes on, doesn't it? You know how it goes on. They, they approach the village where they're going, and Jesus acted as if he was going to go on. And they urged him to stay with them, for it's nearly evening, the day's almost over. And so he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and began to give it to them. And then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. I wonder what it was that allowed the two disciples suddenly to recognize Jesus. Perhaps as he broke the bread, they caught a glimpse of his nail-pierced hands. Or perhaps it was just the personal way he had of breaking a loaf of bread in two and giving thanks. Perhaps he said, This is my body. I don't know. We don't know. But we do know that their eyes were opened. They knew him. Their eyes were opened to exactly who this comforting stranger really was. It was their light bulb moment. It was when the shattered light bulb was put back together. Darkness was replaced by light. That moment of belief, when you suddenly realize who Jesus is, And that he's alive and that he's with you. It's the moment that enabled Peter, a year or so previously, to answer Jesus' question, who do you say I am, with, you are the Messiah. It's the moment that eventually allows Thomas to stop doubting and say, my Lord and my God, has God ever done that for you? Has he allowed you to get a glimpse of Jesus? to see who he really is, to be your comforting stranger, meeting you in the depth of your shattered hopes. I've been really, really privileged to see many people, actually I was going to say a number of people, but many people experience this amazing revelation that Jesus is alive alive, and watch their lives be completely changed. I've been privileged to do that because I've had the opportunity to lead Alpha courses here at that. And that's why I want to wholeheartedly endorse what Sam was saying earlier. Do invite people to the Alpha course. Not because you're feeling guilty or feeling pressured, but because you will see their hearts set on fire. And that's what's happening here. When they talk to each other as Jesus disappears from their sight and say, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They're not describing a nice feeling. They're describing something almost unbelievable, that amazing sensation of coming into the presence of God. What they were talking about was how Jesus was able to use the scriptures to break through to the deepest part of their lives. 
I don't know, some of us here, many of us here, will have had that type of experience where you can feel the presence of Jesus burning in your heart as you read the Bible or as you hear someone explaining it to you. I have. It's amazing. It's the bit that pulls it all together. It's the bit where the brokenness that comes out of shattered hopes is healed. It's the bit that lets you understand that no matter what, God's working out his wonderful plan. It's the bit where you suddenly personally recognize the risen Jesus, that he is truly God and that he's alive. It's the bit where you know that you have the best friend there is and that you are completely and totally loved. It's the bit that really brings you back to life. And for these two disciples, it was the bit that got them going again. And that's the final part of the passage, isn't it? It begins, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. It seems to me massively symbolic that the passage ends up with these two disciples turning right round and going back along the road they'd been travelling so recently. The road that they'd first travelled that was marked by defeat and shattered hopes. But the road was different now. It was full of possibilities. Hope was alive. They were on the same road, but this time with a different destination. They were on the same road, having a different conversation. They were on the same road, but actually it was in a completely different world. And why did the disciples get on the road back to Jerusalem? Quite simply, their hope had been restored. Their dreams had come true. Jesus was alive. And they went back to Jerusalem to tell people about it, to tell everyone this amazing good news. The people in desperate need had found the comfort they needed in that simple but amazing truth that Jesus was not dead. He was alive. And he still is. He is our ultimate hope. And because he lives, we too are alive and will live forever. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead can breathe new life into any hopeless situation we face today. And in some ways, I suppose, therefore, we're just like those two disciples. The very fact that we're here this morning means we're on the road. And just like those two disciples, we are discussing the events that happened in Jerusalem. So perhaps we too need to be joined by that comforting stranger on the road. You see, we may be on the road. I think uh, Val, when you were praying, you described it as the journey of life. We're on that journey, aren't we? We're on that road. And so is Jesus. But we may not be travelling together. Or we may be travelling in silence. And yet Jesus draws alongside and talks with us. So it might be worth asking ourselves what road we are travelling on and how we're travelling it. Are we travelling it in confusion, in bewilderment, in grief-stricken disappointment? Or are we travelling it with hope burning in us? Perhaps today is the day when we need the comforting stranger to draw alongside us. 
Or maybe the road that we're traveling on is not taking us where we'd hoped to go. It feels like a blind alley with no way through. Jesus can find the way through. Perhaps we need to pause for a while on our journey and just allow the comforting stranger to talk with us, to converse with us. There are times when we seem to be traveling so fast that there's no time to listen to any companion, let alone Jesus. We find the journey takes a toll on us, on our spiritual life, and we start drifting from God. The road to Emmaus shows us that hope is not lost. Jesus wants us to be re-energized for our journey. Perhaps we're on a dangerous stretch of road that's very uncertain. Maybe at the moment of greatest danger, that's the moment that Jesus will turn up as the comforting stranger. Maybe you're in a great place and you simply need to hit the road to deliver the news about Jesus to someone who would benefit from hearing it. That's why Tam is telling us to invite all these people, different types of people, to our Alpha course. And that's what the two travellers on the road to Emmaus did. They got back on the road to be witnesses. It may be that you're here today and this is the first time you've heard or thought about this type of stuff. Maybe the road you're on does require you to turn around and get on a road with the comforting stranger for the first time. The good news for you is that the comforting stranger is there on the road for you, waiting for you, and he will draw alongside you. How do you get started? Well, it's so easy, isn't it? It's simply start a conversation with that comforting stranger who's travelling the road, waiting to converse with you. Share your heart. Tell him about your hopes that have been broken, your fears, your questions, your we had hopes, your why is it like this. The comforting stranger is a really, really good listener and he can explain God's wonderful purposes and will reveal himself because the comforting stranger is the risen Jesus who can and will set our hearts on fire and get us going. So I'd like to conclude now simply by giving you an opportunity to do what I've just described, by creating a bit of space for each of us to have our own private conversation with the risen Lord Jesus, our comforting stranger, by asking him to restore our hope, to set our hearts on fire, I'm going to do this by asking Chris in a moment just to play a short video. And as it plays, just have that moment in your heart to talk with Jesus, to get rid of your I had hoped and to let him unfold his purposes for you, to reveal himself in his risen glory and to make you your heart burn within you. And as you do so, You might want to do it using a prayer that St. Paul used for the Roman Christians when he was praying for them to enjoy their own Emmaus Road experience. If you want the verse reference, it's Romans 15, verse 13, and it says this, and it's my prayer for every one of us here today, 
that may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Chris.